It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Howard Beck. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Howard, happy Friday. How are you? Doing well, guys. How are you? Hey, we are doing great. Uh, Quick, I I guess this is more of a question of a personal nature. When you were growing up playing basketball with your buddies on the playground, were you the type of guy that got picked first or the type of guy that got picked last? (laughs) I was the guy who just was happy to be there and (laughs) trying not to get killed in the process. So um, speaking of which, and I already expressed my concerns to Austin before you guys brought me on the air, I just want to make sure – is everything okay? Were you guys able to get into work all right? The, the, the rioting in the streets did not <laughs> did not prevent you from getting where you needed to go, or, or or it threatened you in any way. I just want to make sure everyone's all right. No, 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 Howard. That's not the way it was at all. Everybody was laughing along with LeBron, thinking it was so funny and kind of just having a good time with the whole thing. With I the, just mean uh, it was like a it was a tough week. I mean, LeBron was the final insult. That was after the referees, and just like it's been a it's been a tough week. I just I want him, I, I'm just I'm concerned for you and everyone out there that everything everybody's okay because I know it's it's been tough, and I've already dug a huge hole for myself for the rest of the show now. <laughs> well, see, it's been easier for Jake than it has been for me, Howard, because Jake uh, Jake was taking the, uh, the the populist sort of position, saying, yeah, the Jazz have been mistreated, blah, 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 and I was saying they should just quit crying and play hard and win. You know, and, Wow, and, so, and, and you're still allowed to live there? I, I'm surprised uh, they didn't banish you to, like, you know, Arizona or Colorado or somewhere else nearby. Oh, believe me, I've uh, I've had the uh, pitchforks and the torches show up before. So, uh, anyway, <laughs> it, it, you're right. It's been kind of a crazy week around here. The Jazz, who were so uh, – everyone around here is so pumped up about the Jazz. And then to see that last game against the Sixers – that was kind of a big game, and, and they wanted to not fall uh, three times in four games. And it was weird how the game went. I think there were blown calls in that game. I just don't think that there's some kind of issue where certain people are out to get the Utah Jazz. That's my opinion. Yeah, and so, look, I mean, obviously all of my facetiousness aside, um, and I certainly understand, you know, why – Jazz fans would be upset, and why the Jazz themselves were were upset, and you know there were it was there were some moments officiating wise that were not ideal. That happens every night in the NBA. It happens to every team in the NBA. It happens in every market in the NBA. And if 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 fans are upset about the way the game went, I don't blame them. If, if the if the Jazz are upset, they certainly were. I don't blame them. I there's no conspiracy though. I mean, you guys know me on this. Like I there's nobody. And I can't remember who mentioned this earlier today, but it was like if you're going to buy into the idea of a conspiracy against the Jazz or a small market team or whatever, it wouldn't be for some random game in March. It would be during the playoffs. Like if we're going to have a conspiracy, let's at least have a good one. Like if it's about trying to shaft the the uh, small market team for ratings purposes, well, that you would do that in the playoffs. You wouldn't do it now. It's just it's ludicrous. Um, I think it's somewhat concerning, frankly, to, to hear your stars um, go that direction. It's one thing to – I don't mind anybody ever complaining about the refs. If you think on a given night that the refs just blew it, 
because like the refs are human. Sometimes they blow it. They'll tell you that themselves. Um, they make mistakes. Uh, the last two-minute report did not indicate that they had made the mistakes that the Jazz thought they did. But it, it's, it, it is human error. It's not agenda-driven. There's no conscious effort here. And by the way, Joel Embiid had 40 and 19. <laughs> I think that should be the greater concern if you believe that, you know, that that's a team you might someday hopefully face in the finals. That, you know, or maybe you just feel grateful that you don't have to face them very often because they're in the other conference. But Joel Embiid going for 40 and 10 and their other uh, stars playing really well that night, that's, that's really more the story when it comes to the basketball part of, of that game. And, and Howard, don't, uh, as wonder, wonderfully accurate as Gordon's assessment of my opinion was, <laughs> don't, uh, don't uh, get misunderstand. I, I don't know if somebody's thinking that there's some, you know, grand conspiracy. You know, the Wizard of Oz is pulling the strings that the Jazz are going to lose. But, you know, if it, what it felt to me like with that post game was a culmination of some frustrations that have been going on. And, and Austin said, or Austin, excuse me, I've got Austin Horton on the brain. Uh, uh, Donovan said as much, you know, he said, we've been putting up with this and it's happened during wins as well as losses. And he made it sound like it was, you know, more than just that Philadelphia game uh, per se. And I would say if, if the, the jazz or I'm trying to sum this up right, but it seems to me that teams have figured out that if they beat the Jazz up and play them more physically, they're not going to lose by 20. And so these teams are coming out and they're getting away with pushing the Jazz around and what are technically fouls. And that's where I felt that some of the frustration as it came from from them. But let me ask you this. Is that the book on the Jazz, that you beat them up and you play them physically, especially around the perimeter? I don't know if there is a book on them yet. Um, that's as good a theory or, or, or maybe approach as any. Um, I'm not sure if there is any one thing you would do. Um, you know, look, it, it was it was a difficult game for them. I mean, Donovan Mitchell going 12 for 34 is, is in itself an issue. Now, is that because of the physical style of play that you're alluding to? Um, did Donovan go solo a little too much? I mean, there were times in that game in general – where and this is not just about Donovan Mitchell, but there were moments in that game or stretches in that game where I thought, man, this is not the Jazz offense that's gotten them so many wins this season. Like it, it felt like the ball was sticking a lot more the other night. I don't know if you guys felt that, mm-hmm. but um, you know that, and that's that's the potential vulnerability of a team that really relies on a ton of ball movement. Is that, or, or not? I should say it this way: a team that relies on ball movement instead of just superb individual playmaking abilities, right? We've talked about this before. Donovan Mitchell, incredible individual playmaking, scoring, and uh, and just get your shot at any time ability. But he's the only one who can do that. And everybody else functions best when they're all moving in sync as a unit and the ball's pinging around and it's throwing defenses off balance and it gets guys open shots that they wouldn't necessarily otherwise get on their own. If you can stymie that or if you can just lull the Jazz into playing too much isolation or not moving the ball much, well, it's going to deflate a lot of the roster because most of those guys can't just manufacture on their own. And to me, the other night, there were too many stretches when that was happening. Yeah, the other guy who can do it is Jordan Clarkson, uh, Howard. Yes. But uh, but you're right. They prefer to have that ball, as you say, pinging around. Let me ask you this. Do you think that the players, the All-Stars, care about where they're drafted? Was that embarrassing for Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert? Do you think 
What, what, what did you make of that? Is it significant? These are very proud men, you know. Yes. I mean, it, I wonder if it it ticked them off. So, you know, we're going to do a lot of mind reading in this particular subject. Um, so, you know, I caveat this with, I, I, you know, I don't know for sure, but a couple things have struck me, struck me in the moment last night and have, and have, and have occurred to me since. One is, to your question, yes, I do think it matters to the players. Yeah, from the time these, these guys were kids, you know, they didn't want to be picked last and probably never were picked last for anything in their whole lives. Even though it's an all-star draft, it is if not the 24 best players, at least 24 of the best players. And if you're in that group at all, it's an honor. So to be picked last should not be any great shame. However, nobody wants to be picked last. <laughs> Anybody, ever. Um, and also, by the way, within that 24, you're looking at the other guys and going, wait a minute, I'm after him? It's not even about being picked last. It's, <laughs> it's like, it, 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 like every single one of these guys – they know there's certain guys they absolutely are better than. There are some guys they think they're better than but might not be, might be close. And there's some guys that they know. Like if they look at, like if LeBron weren't in the player pool, well, just say Giannis, say. If you're picked behind Giannis, you're like, ah, he's the two-time MVP. I can deal with being picked behind Giannis. But when it's, you know, that, that tease where it was like, oh, I need some size, so um, I'm going to take Sabonis. <laughs> and Rudy's on the board. That – I, here's where the mind reading comes in. I don't want to go too far with this. That kind of felt intentional. Like that seemed like a setup. And I think for the Jazz, uh, for, from their standpoint, if Donovan had been picked, you know, whatever, fourth or fifth pick of the reserve draft, and Rudy was last, and this is an all-star game where offense reigns supreme, right? Like nobody, most guys aren't even getting into this game aren't even all-stars based on their defense. They're all all-stars based on their offense primarily. And Rudy, to his credit, is the exception to that. But if you're thinking about an all-star game, and you're not thinking about, oh, who am I going to get to the best defenders? Nobody's playing defense in an all-star game. So it makes sense that Rudy might be last. I, like, I think that's, a, that, that's fine. That is not a, a mark of shame or dishonor. That they were both the last two, and that it almost looked like they were being steered around and that Vooch went before them, and that Sabonis went before them, and that they were literally the last two guys? I don't know. Like, I don't, I'm not saying Durant and LeBron planned it this way. I don't think they did. But uh, even me, the, as you guys know, the most nuanced, least conspiratorial-minded person who does not usually buy into a lot of this stuff, I'm looking at it going, man, that was rough. And and like I think they should be more offended by that than anything that happened with the officiating, even though the officiating was a more uh, impactful thing to their actual, uh, you know, face of the season than than a silly All Star draft. Howard, going away from the Jazz for just a moment. Blake Griffin bought out today by the Pistons. Does he have enough left in the tank to be a contributor to uh, to a title contender out there? I, I think doubtful, but. Um, maybe in a limited role. I mean, scouts I talked to about Blake a couple weeks ago when they first decided to shelve him, um, the, the, the reports on him were really bleak, just that he looked done, that um, it was painful to watch him play, that it's uh, it, it just there's nothing left there. Now, that said, he's playing on a team that was going young, that was not featuring him, and where – there's no hope of the playoffs. 
is it possible that Blake Griffin still has a little left in the tank and that if you put him in a different environment on a contender in the right role, that he'll be re-energized and there's, there's another gear there? Maybe, but he's been through a lot physically. Like, he's not that old, but he's just been through a lot physically, injury-wise, surgeries, and he might just be kind of cooked. But Blake is a guy who, over the years, you know, showed himself to be a great playmaker, you know, uh, from a, a variety of spots on the court. He can play on the perimeter a little bit. His jump shot, you know, when your legs go, your jump shot goes. And so the jump shot hasn't looked as good. But he's, a, you know, at his best has been a decent mid-range jumper and can hit the occasional three. He's never going to be a high flyer again. That's that's not going to be his game. Like the, That Blake Griffin is gone. But he could still be effective in a limited role. And there are teams that really need – just some reinforcements in the front court. I think he's, you know, probably a, a, a an off the bench guy. I think he's probably a 15 to 18 minutes guy. But if you can get the best out of him in that role, some playmaking, a little shot making, and he's been around. He's he's you know played in a ton of playoff games. He's a good you know just you know got the experience to bring to the locker room. I, I can see it. So yeah, I think he will help, but not not in the way that we once would have thought about Blake Griffin helping. Howard, I don't know if the Jazz are one of the best teams in the league. I, I think they are one of the best. I don't know if they're the best or how that's going to go. I, I'm curious, just like we all are, to see how they do in the postseason. But knowing, back to the question about pride, knowing how much these guys care about that sort of thing and their own identity and, and what they're able to accomplish, these guys are good. The Jazz are really, really good. So I'm wondering – with the happenings of this last week, do you think that will motivate them to kind of get together and say, hey, man, look, the only way we can fight any of this is just keep on winning? Does that work for an entire team, or is that overrated? Because Jake and I were talking earlier about Michael Jordan, the greatest player ever, and he used to grab a hold of whatever little hook he could to swing forward with momentum. What do you think? Well, yeah, and, and you know, look, we've seen this over the years. You know, elite players often will find any little, uh, you know, potential grievance, you know, manufactured, imagined, or, or real, whatever. They will they will seize on to, to keep themselves motivated or give themselves a little extra edge, and like that's that's real. The psychological part of the game is real. Constantly finding a way to give yourself another edge or to to to, to pump yourself up and, and and give yourself that that extra little jolt. It's necessary in a long season. Um, here's the danger of where the Jazz are with this, this whole thing, especially with regard to what was said the other night about the officiating and about lack of respect and all this. It, it's the way you channel it. So if I were Quinn Snyder or if I were somebody leading that, that franchise, I would, I would frame it the way that you just did, Gordon. It would be more about, listen, you want respect? Go out and earn it. Um, Maybe we haven't earned it yet. We just got to keep kicking everybody's butts. We got to show them every night. So maybe it's not enough to have the, the, the best record in the league through four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. We got to do it the whole season. Like, that's good. That's a positive way of channeling perceived disrespect and, and, and constantly giving guys a reason to have an edge. But if it's more of a persecution complex, nobody respects us because we play in Utah. You know, um, you know, the referees don't respect us. There's, there's, a, you know, a bias against us. There's no, the league doesn't want us to. That, and that's why you get fined. By the way, you can say, like, saying a refs missed a call, you may or may not get fined. Refs did this intentionally because it's part of an agenda because the league doesn't want us to win. That's not only running way afoul of the NBA rules on on that discourse. 
but it's defeatist. It, it's, it's, perse- it's a persecution complex, and it's just not even true. Um, there's nothing to that. And if you buy into that as a team, it's one thing to say it in the heat of the moment. I hope they let that go. Because if you internalize that and you think that that's the case, that sounds to me defeatist. That sounds like it doesn't matter what we do, doesn't matter how great we are, we can't win because there's, whether you want to call it a conspiracy, whether you want to call it bias, whatever, that, like I say, to me is defeatist. So I think it's important for them as an organization, whether it's from the front office, whether it's from Quinn Snyder, whether it's the, the veterans on, in that locker room, somebody's got to, like, I think, redirect that conversation and say, guys, look, however we feel about the way things went, we just got to earn it. We just got to keep going out every night and busting our butts and playing great basketball and earn it if we don't think we have the proper respect. Because I'll tell you, look, back in the day, you guys know this, I don't think anybody in the league didn't respect Malone and Stockton in that group. Those teams were respected. They absolutely were. So it's not about location. It's not about market. Um, And I think they need to let go of that narrative as quickly as they can. Howard, we do have a half a season behind us now. Outside of the Jazz with the the best record in the league, what surprised you? What didn't you see coming about this season so far? My own backyard, obviously the Knicks are, are part of that. Nobody saw them. You know, they were... Most people peg them as either worst team in the East or, you know, whatever, bottom three in the league, bottom four in the league, that they're actually, you know, in the proverbial, if the season ended today, they'd be in the playoffs, that they're a game over 500 at the break, uh, I think is, is certainly a surprise. So, you know, put them in that discussion. Um, you know, there's been some, pri- some surprises to the negative, of course. You know, the Celtics struggles, the Raptors struggles, the Heat's struggles, the Mavericks struggles. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, unfortunately, I think there's more surprises to the, to the negative than to the positive right now. Just a lot of teams that seem to be underachieving, um, and the Eastern Conference just being a, a, a sea of mediocrity in general after the top three teams. So, um, did not see a lot of that coming. Um, and then the other pleasant surprise, of course, is the Suns, uh, who are right behind your Jazz right now in the standings, uh, which you know, everybody believed once they got Chris Paul and given their strong play in the bubble that the Suns would make a big move that this would be the year they'd finally end their incredibly long playoff drought but I think we all figured it would be as a sixth seventh eighth seed not as at the moment number two in the in the conference now I don't think they're going to finish there uh, but they they're way better than what we any of us I think anticipated probably than even the Suns anticipated and, and huge credit to Monty Williams in fact we were discussing this on Sirius XM NBA radio uh, earlier today. If I had to do coach of the year ballot right now, Quinn Snyder and Monty Williams are the two guys I think are at the top. Well, Howard, Howard thank you. How, oh, sorry, go I ahead. got one more. I got one more for Howard. Uh, we haven't talked with you about this for quite some time now, but uh, and I want to be respectful in bringing this subject up to those who are still suffering with the COVID nineteen situation. But do you get a sense that uh, everything is heading in a, in a good direction now, Howard, uh, as far as its overall effect on the league? Knock on wood here. But do you think with the, uh, with the uh, distribution of the vaccine and uh, things are getting better as far as the overall vibe in the NBA? I, I have two answers on that, Gordon. Um, and I'm working on something right now regarding this issue. And so I've, I've been on the phone with epidemiologists for the last couple of days to ask them about how the NBA is doing. Um, I think the first answer is that I think the NBA has navigated this pretty well, given the circumstances, right? The, the conditions around them 
are what they are. You can't control everything once everybody's back in their home market. So, yes, there's been 30, 31 postponed games. There's been an, uh, any number of guys who have missed games because of the protocols, whether they had the virus or were simply potentially exposed and were in contact tracing. So it's been challenging for the NBA, but I think they've weathered it pretty well, and I think that their protocols have proven to be the right approach. Human nature can always interfere, right? Like there's no set of rules that's going to perfectly insulate you because it's still about human nature. But they've done pretty well. And I think, you know, the second half of the season, we should expect things to be a little smoother than the first half because the league restarted at a time when this country was at its absolute worst point in terms of infection rate. And infection rates are coming down across the country. So I would expect the second half of the season to be better than the first half for the NBA on that partially because infection rates are coming down, partially because of vaccine rollouts and increasing vaccinations across the country. But, and this is the second part of it, we see states trying to fully reopen, or they are fully reopening, taking away mask mandates, fully reopening restaurants. Um, there's not an epidemiologist uh, on earth with any credentials or any credibility who would say that that's a good idea at this stage. We're so close to finally getting this thing under control and just pretending it's over and going back to, to normal is really dangerous, especially with these new variants of the virus out there that also might be resistant to the vaccine. So it's a, it's a kind of a precarious time, you know, not, you know, not for the NBA, but just for society at large on, on the virus. And of course, eventually that affects the NBA. So I, I'm mostly optimistic about where things are heading for the league for the second half of the season, but it does really depend on people still, you know, being smart individually and and within communities so that this does not flare up again and, you know, undo all the progress. Howard, thank you very much. As uh, as always, we'll catch you next week. Thanks again. Absolutely. Pleasure, guys. Talk to you then. Thanks. Thanks, Howard. Back at you, Howard. Our friend Howard Beck, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. He joins us each and every Friday here on The Big Show. We'll have more Big Show coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.